All right, good morning, everybody. It is, oh, thank you, that's great. Good reaction, I like it. Um, so believe it or not, it's 2019. Don't know if it's hit you yet. It hasn't quite hit me yet. I'm still getting used to writing 2019 instead of 2018. I'm sure that'll take us a few days. Uh, but I'm really excited to be here. Today is a wonderful day and a great way to start off the year. Um, so if you missed last week, we started talking about the Great Commission. It's a great way to end the year, but it's also the great way to start the year as well. So we're continuing on with the Great Commission this week. Um, so last week, as we kind of began things, we, we talked a little bit about resolutions. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to ask how your resolutions are going. If they're like mine, I'm still eating junk food and things like that. Uh, but maybe we'll get there. Who knows? So good luck with that. Um, but last week, when we were looking at resolutions, we talked about what would it look like for us as a church to have one resolution, and that resolution for us to take the Great Commission so seriously that each and every single one of us seeks to make one disciple in 2019. So if you didn't catch that, that's one resolution, and that's one disciple in 2019. And so you have somewhere around 360, a little bit 300 somewhere around 360 days left to make your one disciple. So you should probably get started. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think an even stronger way for us, though, to, to look at something like that and the opportunity that we have concerning the Great Commission is to, to change the question and to ask ourselves, what would I do in 2019 if I knew that this were my last year on earth? It sounds a little morbid, I know. Um, but what would you do if this was your last year? Would you maybe travel more and see some of the places you've never seen, some cool sunsets and sunrises on mountains somewhere? Um, would you maybe spend some money on that one thing you've been dreaming of, like for me, a Toyota Tacoma, right? Or would you do the opposite? Would you maybe save all the money that you have to be able to provide for those that are, that are behind whenever you leave? Um, or would you instead seek to take every single opportunity to spend it with those that you love? Or what if I change the question? And what if I asked, what if we as a church, as Redstone Church, what if we knew that Jesus was coming back at the end of this year, or even in five years? What would we do differently as a church? I think it's a great opportunity for us to go ahead. Let's look in the scriptures at the Great Commission. Let's remind ourselves what it is that we're talking about. And then here in a few minutes, we'll come back and dive a little bit more deeper into it. So it's on your worship guides, or if you have your scriptures, we're in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of the chapter. And so starting in verse 16, God's word says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So in terms of thinking about the Great Commission and the, and the mission of God, um, we as a church, we're in this strategic time, this, this wonderful moment where we kind of have a choice to make, right? So again, we've been highlighting missions and our missions platforms over, over the course of the last several months. And those four platforms are one, witnessing, which is you and, you and myself, right? We are witnesses of Christ. Um, two, there are, is our mission, ministry partners. Three is church planting and planters. And then four is missionaries. 
And so we've been highlighting these over the last several months. Um, we've been giving our monies to them. We have been praying um, some wonderful prayers for them. And these are good things that we want to do generously as a church. But the opportunity that we have and the choice that we, we have to make is, am I only satisfied with praying and giving? Or am I willing to take that next step and to engage in the mission of God? And so this coming year, we as a church, we want to mobilize our body in the mission of God. In case you haven't caught on yet, 2019 is a big year for Redstone because it is church planting year. And again, just in case you missed it, Redstone Church is planting a church in Elizabethan sometime this year or early 2020. And that is a really, really big deal. It's also a really scary thing. I mean, think about it. Redstone Church is five years old. We were just planted five, a little over five years ago, right, out of Redeemer. And now here we are, and we have this opportunity to do the same thing, to continue this multiplication process that we see in the Great Commission and to plant another church. And so, Lord willing, if things go according to plan, the Elizabethan people will not be here next year at this time. That's both exciting and sad. But Lord willing... If we obey the Great Commission and continue to multiply and to plant churches, some of us, myself included, will not be in this room this time next year. And so this, this opportunity to plant a church, this is a big thing for each of us, right? It's not just for the few of us that are a part of this Elizabethan core group, but it's an opportunity for all of us as a church. Um, because it's an entire church that is birthing a new church and sending out a group of people. It's not just the idea of a few, but it is all of us as a body obeying the Lord Jesus and sending out a new church. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of thoughts. It's going to take a whole lot of prayers from each of you, because I need your prayers. I know that we all do. It's going to take some stewardship of our time and our resources and giving these things away for the glory of God and so much more. But what, what is important for us to understand in church planting in Elizabethan is that for us as, as a church, it's an opportunity to engage and obey in the great commission that Jesus has given. So some of you, when you hear the Great Commission, you may feel a, a, a pulling, a tug, a calling on your heart to go somewhere else, to go um, to another country, another place, and that's great. If that's the calling on your life, you should go. But for a lot of us, we, we may not feel that same calling, and yet we are still called by Jesus to obey the Great Commission. And so that looks like engaging in the lives of people around us and sharing the gospel and for us as a church, we have the opportunity, instead of going overseas somewhere, we can drive 25 minutes down the road to the people of Elizabethan to give them the gospel that they so desperately need. So naturally, the, the question that's on anyone's mind if they hear this idea of church planting Elizabethan, even if I talk to people in Elizabethan, the very first question that I get is, why Elizabethan? Why in the world plant another church? Have you seen how many churches are here? I mean, there's one on every street corner. The street that I grew up on um, as a child, you drive one mile to my parents' house, you pass three churches. Why in the world would you plant another church? Well, you see, that the need in Elizabethan is very great. So like much of the religious South, there, there literally are churches on every street corner. And there's several that you can see from one from another. 
And like much of the religious South, there's a, quite a few um, religious non-Christians, meaning people that know a whole lot about religion. Um, they've probably spent some significant time in church in their life, um, but there are some people that either have not heard the gospel or understood it correctly. And so they're living these lives of religion where they obey these religious rules. And culturally, again, Elizabethan is a place where just about everybody goes to church. I know when I grew up um, going to school in different places, you talk to people and somebody goes to this youth group, somebody goes to that youth group, right? It's a place where you wouldn't necessarily go onto a street corner and start preaching the gospel and expect to have these large throngs of people come to you who have never heard the gospel or never heard any religious platitudes. If you go up to any person in Elizabeth and say, hey, do you believe in God or do you um, believe in the Bible or believe in Jesus? most likely you're going to get an emphatic yes, right? I mean, it's not a place where nobody's ever heard of Jesus. If you ask them, are you a Christian? Most of the time you're going to get yes as an answer in Elizabeth. And yet, there is still a a huge need um, for the gospel in this place. We, we live in a portion of the country in the, in the Bible Belt where, where people tend to naturally assume that you're a Christian either because you attend church or maybe you have some relatives in church or a pastor somewhere. Um, or maybe for some people, they, they vaguely remember saying some sort of prayer as a kid at church or at VBS, but the rest of their life hasn't necessarily shown any sort of spiritual fruit. That's the, the world that we live in culturally in this place that we call home. In Elizabeth, and specifically, over half the population claim to be either non-religious or to not really attend church on a regular basis. So that means just within the city limits, not even counting all of Carter County, that's over 7,000 people that either don't truly believe or they vaguely know what Jesus is or they don't find themselves in church. And so despite the fact there are dozens of churches, there are over 7,000 people, probably right now, that are not hearing the gospel preached. And that doesn't even include the people that are sitting in pews on this given Sunday morning. There have been a lot of different um, Christian leaders over the years that believe that potentially half of people sitting in churches do not necessarily know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so you can see that the need is, is very great in Elizabethan. And even out of the many churches that are there, sadly enough, there are some church congregations that are kind of dwindling in size because they have older populations. And so what's happening is you have people in their 20s and 30s, my age, that have probably grown up at some point in time in church. Um, They've been there and they've tried that. And so for one reason or another, they're walking away from Christ. They're walking away from the church. And then what that means is this next generation that's coming up are finding themselves without hearing the gospel preached on a regular basis. The spiritual need in Elizabethan is great. But the opportunity there is even greater. And so there are a lot of reasons as to why in the world we should plant a church. So Tim Keller, if you've ever heard of him, um, he's a famous church planting pastor in New York City, and he's an author, written a lot of great books. And so he's done some some really good research, both him and then other denominations as well, on church planting. And so I just want to read a couple of things of, of why you should plant a church and what church planting does for an area. So he says, that church planting is the only way to ensure the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches within a city. 
So church planting both increases the body of Christ because there are, you're going after people that have not necessarily heard the gospel or are not finding themselves in church, and it seeks to renew other churches that are already existing within a city. He says that new churches are the best way to reach younger and newer people groups, which is true. And again, those 20s and 30-somethings not finding themselves in church, that's a great way to reach those people. New churches are the best at reaching the unchurched. And so this is an interesting statistic. Um, He says that new churches, and this is across the board in denominations, new churches gain 60 to 80% of their new members from people that are not currently um, attending church somewhere else. Whereas churches that are 10 or 15 years older, um, 80 to 90% of new growth comes from existing churches. So that's transfer growth. And so new churches have an amazing opportunity to reach people in ways that existing churches are not as easily able to do. New churches also, again, they help to bring renewal to to existing churches. Um, They're able to be a little bit more ambitious and to try things that um, existing churches may not necessarily be willing to do initially. And the new churches also help to bring um, extra funding to uh, ministry organizations within a city. So, yes, the need for um, a new church in Elizabethan is great, but the opportunity that we have in going there is even greater. And so, as scary as it is for me to say, having grown up in Elizabethan, I feel called to the people of Elizabethan. That's not something you're going to hear many 20-something-year-olds say, right? Um, I know growing up, and, and me as a teacher, anytime that I talk to young people, the number one thing that they want to do is to, to leave and to go somewhere else. And so young people, they think whatever it is that they're looking for, whatever the, that answer is in their life, they think they're going to find it somewhere else, and they just want to leave. And so that was true for, for my friends and I growing up. Uh, we, we were fairly successful in school, right? We, we tried really hard. And so the idea was, in our culture, in order to be successful, you have to go away, right? To, to stay where you are or to come back home, um, that would be unsuccessful in our culture today. And so for myself, you know, I grew up in Elizabethan, lived there for a really long time, and I tried the, the getting away thing. My friends would laugh at me because it didn't last very long. Um, I moved to Chattanooga. and was only there for six months before God called me back. Um, specifically, God called me back to become a member of Redstone Church. And so five years ago, this past December, I started attending Redstone Church at the Trinity Arts Center. And it's been a very quick and amazing five years in what God has done during that short amount of time. And I'm so thankful for my time at Redstone because I have learned so much about Jesus and the gospel and his grace in ways that I, had, I did not understand growing up for a really long time, for one reason or another. And I remember when I first came back from, from Chattanooga, I started meeting with Spencer on a regular basis. He started discipling me. And early on, he asked me, Sam, do you have a heart for the people of Elizabethan? We were sitting somewhere in Elizabethan, coffee company, Chick-fil-A or something. And my response was something like, I mean, you know... I don't know, right? Um, Again, just because my my kind of background, that that pride that was in my heart was in order to be successful, I have to go away. I have to get out of here. And so this idea of coming back to a place that I grew up um, and loving some people that can be hard to love, right? People are hard to love. Didn't necessarily seem very appealing to me. But then I taught at Elizabeth High School for three and a half years. Um, And during my time there, God began to change my heart. Because I was working with these teenagers, these high school kids, and they had these same experiences that I had growing up. They were in the same schools, they were attending church and youth group, and yet I had the unique opportunity to see that many, if not most of them, were chasing after what the world said would make them happy. So they were in church on Sundays and Wednesdays, 
but the rest of their life did not necessarily reflect someone in love with Jesus. And so my heart began to, to break for these people and for their, their family members in this town, and so he changed my heart. And so at this time, I feel called to, to love and care for the people of Lisbethan, to officiate weddings and, and funerals when they, when they happen, um, to share the gospel with this group of people. And thankfully, I'm not alone in this endeavor, right? So there's this core group of people, um, as scary as it may be for them, um, that feel that Redstone Church is called to plant a church in Lisbethan. And so there's about 25, 26 of us right now that have been meeting over this past year. that We started in February 2018. And so we're meeting together, and so we have this opportunity to go to the people of Lisbethan, to take the Great Commission a little bit more seriously this year, and to step into um, this city um, and these people that live there and need the gospel. And so what I think is amazing is that, again, it's not just us as a core group, but it is us as Redstone Church. We're taking this time, we're looking at the Great Commission, this mission of God to make disciples, and we're saying as a church, you know what, we're going to take this seriously this year, so seriously that we are willing to, to divide ourselves, to multiply by sending out a group of people and start a new church. And we get to be a part of the mission of God. I don't know if that excites you, but it excites me because it means we get to be a part of something that is way bigger than ourselves. And so I encourage you, if you, by some um, crazy stretch of the imagination, you're beginning to feel this little tug, perhaps from God, by all means, come with us. Maybe even sell your house and move to Elizabethan. It sounds crazy, but you get to be a part of something so much bigger. You get to be a part of the mission of God in this small little area that we call home. I think that's so exciting. So bringing back to the scripture, last week we started looking at the Great Commission. And so we begin to, to really look at our doubts that we naturally have um, in our own life. Because again, if you spend any significant amount of time um, as a Christian going through your life, you're going to experience some sort of doubts. Doubts in your faith, maybe doubts in, in God and His goodness, doubts in His plan for your life and what He's doing. Um, but as we learned last week, those doubts that we have, they do not disqualify us from the mission of God. So you don't feel good enough as a Christian, you're still called to obey the Great Commission. And how in the world are you able to do this? Well, it's because that Jesus fulfills the Great Commission through us. And so the, the Great Commission starts off with His authority. And it is by His authority that we are then sent out. He goes before us. It is His power that is living through us that we're able to go and to obey the Great Commission. And so like last week, I want to ask you, do you believe that Jesus has all authority? Does He have all authority over every part of your life? Is His authority absolute in your life? Because it is he that fulfills the Great Commission through you. It is he that is calling you to go out. It is Jesus that is calling Redstone to start this church, not me. His authority is absolute. But despite the fact that we can look at the Great Commission, we can see that Christ's authority is absolute, I think if we were honest with ourselves, a lot of us can still have a little trouble with the Great Commission. Maybe some of us, we, we look at the Great Commission and we think, is God really calling me to make disciples? I mean, isn't that really the, the job and the gifting of, of the professionals, of pastors and missionaries and those Billy Graham types of people that just have these amazing giftings? Isn't it really those people that God is calling to make disciples? 
I think, unfortunately, it's really far too easy for us to sit idly by on the sidelines of ministry and to watch other people. You see, we, we look at these other things in our lives, these things that are, that are really good. We have opportunities to be um, successful in our careers, to provide for our families, to give our children the best possible life that we can. And all these other things that are good, like our own spiritual development, we allow them to become our, our focal points. And so we are sitting idly by on the missionary field, and we are missing out on something so much bigger than ourselves. We're missing, missing out on the opportunity to be a part of God's mission in the world. But even though we, we tend to have these doubts, or maybe we're not really sure if God's calling us to be part of the Great Commission, or, or maybe we're, we're focused on all these other things, thankfully we have Jesus with us every step of the way. And so if you look at the Great Commission, you have these personal bookends. The, Jesus is at the very beginning and very end of the Great Commission. So if you look at, at his first words, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so again, just like we talked about last week, this is a really pivotal part of the Great Commission. See, Jesus is claiming his divinity. He is saying, I am God. And his authority is absolute. And by his authority, we are able to obey the Great Commission and to go out and make disciples because we are his ambassadors in the world. You see, by claiming um, his divinity, Jesus is showing us um, a little bit of the Trinity, right? So if you look at the Trinity, it is God existing as um, three persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet he, they are fully God and they are one person. And so in the Trinity, they each have distinct functions as God. So you have God the Father who plans, God the Son who executes, and then God the Holy Spirit who applies. And so you look at the life of Jesus. He died on the cross and rose again, and he brought reconciliation. And so this reconciliation was the plan of God the Father from the beginning of time. And so he has fulfilled this plan for um, reconciliation between us and God. And so it is by his authority as God that he is giving this great commission. And then you look to the end of the great commission, the last thing that he says, and he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so God um, is able to fulfill this promise through the Holy Spirit, who Jesus has sent to us to live in us and through us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in you and me. It's the power that gives us the umption to be able to go and to share the gospel with others and to make disciples. It is Jesus that fulfills the Great Commission through us, and it is the Holy Spirit that lives and moves through us and allows us to obey. How amazing is this? That we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, and we're not alone. The Great Commission starts and ends with Jesus. And so, we, as, as his disciples, we get to be part of this big M mission of God. It is God's mission to, share, to spread the gospel through the world through people making disciples. And so the Great Commission, it is both um, singular and plural. So you look at the Great Commission, and it's calling each and every single one of us to make disciples. Again, our resolution as a church for each of us to make one disciple this coming year. And at the same time, the Great Commission is plural because it is corporately for God's church to go and make disciples of all nations. So just as the Trinity is plural, you have the Great Commission going out to all of God's church. And we at Redstone Church, we have the opportunity 
to be a part of this great commission in this small little corner of the world that we call home. And of course, our involvement in God's mission will not end in planting one church this year, right? It will continue on past this as we continue to make disciples, as we continue to plant churches. And do you know how we will know when, the, when our mission is over, when making disciples is over? It's when Jesus comes back. That's when it's done. And since he is not back, we will continue to be about our Father's business. We will continue to be about the work of our King Jesus and be disciples who are making disciples and churches who are planting churches. So what in the world does it look like for us to obey the Great Commission? Well, I think in order to really understand what we see here in the Scriptures, um, we have to look at what's being said in the Greek. I don't know about you, but I'm not a Greek scholar. I didn't take any Greek classes. You'll have to go talk to Bruce Colson. But luckily, we have this thing called the Internet, and so you can go and research these things, right? And so in the Greek, you have one imperative verb and three participle verbs. So I'm an English teacher, which means I'm a little bit of a grammar geek. So an imperative verb, it's a command. It's something that you should do, right? So if you say to your kids, clean your room, eat your food, go to sleep, those are imperative commands, clean, eat, sleep, go, right? And then participles, those are our verbs ending in ing, like eating and walking and sleeping and reading. And so, for example, if I were to say, clean your room, by picking up the trash and folding your laundry. So you, your imperative verb, the verb that you're supposed to obey, is the clean your room, and then the participles are, are how you clean your room. So that involves the picking up and the folding, right? And so whenever you look at the Great Commission, you have to find those imperative verbs and those participles, right? And so in the Great Commission, the imperative verb is disciple. So when Jesus is giving this, this command to um, his disciples, the verb he wants them to obey, the, the going and the doing part, that is disciple. So just like you would say eat, sleep, he says disciple. And then the participles are how you disciple. So how do you obey the Great Commission? How do you make disciples? You look to those participles. And so that is the go, which is really as you are going, that is baptize, and that is teaching. So that is how you make disciples. And so what I would like to do is to look at each one of those a little bit more in depth. So just like we discussed a little bit last week, the first one of the participles is, is the go. It is as you are going. And so whenever Jesus looks at um, his people, he knows that we as human beings, we're naturally in movement, right? We have these rhythms that we go through throughout our daily lives where we interact with, with friends and family, coworkers and neighbors and strangers, right? Those are the normal rhythms that we experience. And so how do you make disciples? Well, it involves going. It is just go through your normal life. And Jesus is saying, as you are going through your day-to-day -day lives, disciple. He's saying, as you tuck your kids into bed at night, disciple. And so I've, I've tried to start doing that a little bit with my daughter, May. She is, she's going to be two years old in just a few weeks, so she's really young and doesn't quite fully understand everything. And yet, I still have an opportunity to, to make her a disciple, right? And so each night, I read her some books and give her a kiss, and then I say, do you want to pray? And she says, yeah. And so we say a short little prayer, thanking Jesus for Mommy and Daddy and for our sister Anna and for a good day, and we pray for the next day. And then I say amen, and she says, she says amen right? So as you are going, as you tuck your kids to bed at night, disciple them. He's saying, as you spend time with friends and get together, disciple them. 
as you sit with a coworker at lunch and, and you eat with them and you're talking with them, disciple them. As your elderly neighbor comes over and says, hey, I need to, to rotate my tires, will you help me? Disciple them. And as you are talking with a clerk behind a gas station counter or maybe you're, you're ordering your food today at lunch and you're interacting with your server, Jesus says, disciple him. As you are going, disciple. So the verb, what you do, is disciple. How do you disciple? You go throughout your daily life. And so what this does, when you understand this in the Great Commission, it begins to change your entire outlook on life. You begin to see your life as not just a bunch of random events or obligations or drudgery, but you see every single person as an opportunity to disciple. And you begin to see these divine moments and opportunities where you have these, these gospel moments where you can step into someone's life and you can disciple them. So how do you make disciple? You go throughout your life and you disciple. The second thing that we see here, if you're taking notes, the second participle is baptizing. So baptism, it's meant to occur after someone has made a profession of faith, after they have come to know Jesus. And so in Acts 2, verse 38 Peter has just um, preached to, to these large multitudes. And so they've asked him, what, what, what must we do to be saved? And he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at baptism, it's important for us to understand that it's not the act of baptizing that saves us right? It is symbolic of what has already happened in the life of a believer. So it takes place publicly, but it expresses what has happened privately in your heart. And so you, you have baptism, and, and you take someone, and you dunk them in water, right? And so water, um, as sometimes it can represent life, but other times in the world, it also represents death. If you think about um, the flood with Noah, right? So you have the, the waters that, that has brought destruction and killed everything on earth except for what was on the ark with Noah. Or if you look to when the, the Red Sea was parted, and so you have the people of Israel, they, they cross over safely, but then the Egyptians are destroyed by this water. And so whenever you have baptism and you are dunked, it represents the spiritual death that has taken place, that Christ has taken the place of for us, right? So he died the, the death that we were meant to die, and that represents that. And then as you come up out of the water, it represents this new life that you've been given. And so baptism is this thing that we should do and we should, should be obedient in. So if you've not had the opportunity in your life to be baptized, just know here in a few minutes there'll be a couple of people in the prayer corner. They'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But when it comes to discipling, this action of disciple, one of the ways you do that is through baptizing. So what that means is as you are going, as you are sharing the gospel, and people are brought to this point of making a decision of following Jesus, you then get to baptize them. And so I think that's an amazing opportunity that, that we have where we can disciple somebody. So have you ever discipled another person? I mean, what would it look like if we were as a church um, had the opportunity whenever baptism occurs to have each of us baptize a disciple that we have made? Because again, discipleship is a multiplication process. If you were to look um, later on in the, in the scriptures at 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's one of these passages that I love. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to Timothy, and he is telling them, him, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. And so this, this process of making disciples, it is a multi-generational process because you have Paul who has shared the gospel and made a disciple of Timothy. And then Paul is telling Timothy, go and do the same thing with other men, and then those men will be able to do the same thing with other men. And so you have this process where a disciple is made who makes another disciple and makes another disciple. And so how wonderful would it be for us to take that, again, that one resolution to make one disciple in this coming year, and next year for you to be able to disciple or to baptize that disciple. How amazing is that? So again, how do you make disciples? You go and you baptize. And so the third participle that we want to look at in the scriptures is this act of teaching. So specifically, Jesus says, make disciples by teaching them all that I have commanded. I don't know if you've ever sat down and looked at everything that Jesus taught in the scriptures, but there's, there's quite a bit there, right? And if you go back to yourself, you're like, I don't really know that I know all of that well enough. It can seem way too daunting. But what if we took all of Christ's teachings and we, we just kind of started with the three, like boil it down to the three main commands that he's given, and we start with those. And so we, we can see in scriptures, we look in Mark and in John. So in Mark chapter 12, someone, there's a scribe, and he asks Jesus, Jesus, what are the, the greatest commandments? And Jesus tells him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment than these. And so Jesus has taken all of the teachings of the prophets and, and everything in the Old Testament, and he's boiled it down to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And then later on, we see in John chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so if you're to take the Great Commission seriously this year, and you want to make disciples, you take all that Jesus commanded, you start with these three, right? So you have these three commands. If you want to jot them down, you're welcome to. The first is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, love others as yourself. And the third, love one another as Christ has loved us. So he is our example. And how did he love us? He laid down his life for us. It is sacrificial. So we are to do the same for others. And again, you may be looking at yourself and thinking, I, I don't really think I know what it means to love God with everything. That's okay. You have the opportunity to grow in that this year. We're about to start a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. It's a great place to start where you start to love God with all of your heart and your soul, your mind, and your strength. So after you hear the, these two um, acts of baptizing and teaching, questions I have for you are, have you ever baptized another person? Have you ever been so intricately involved in the gospel story, so closely tied to another person, that you have had the opportunity opportunity to baptize them. If I had to guess, I would say that probably not a whole lot of us have had that opportunity. But what if next year or five years or 10 years from now, Redstone Church here in John City, in Elizabethan, what if more and more of us could say, yes, I have had the opportunity to baptize another person? Second question is, are you currently in a relationship with another person 
where you are teaching them all that Christ has commanded, where you're teaching them these three commands, and where you're showing them what it looks like in your daily life. See, we want to be a church that takes the Great Commission and God's mission so seriously and what we are so serious about disciple-making that each and every single one of us are making disciples, where we are baptizing other people and we are teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. So again, naturally, you look at these things and you ask, okay, so, so how do I start? Where do I go from here? And so a lot of this I shared with you last week, the, the same three steps I gave last week are the same three steps that are true for us this week as we look at the Great Commission. And so always our first step must be prayer. So we need to pray to God and ask him, Lord Jesus, I really need you to help my heart to be so enthralled with you, with who you are in my life, with what you have done for me, that I cannot help but to share you with other people. Because let me tell you, you're not going to get there on your own. It's only going to happen.